Our scripture for today is Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. This is God's word for us today. When I was nine years old, I was terrified of tornadoes. Anybody else feel that fear? Uh, I think it came from uh, when I was in kindergarten, we had a tornado drill that turned into more than a drill. Uh, and so I was doing that duck and cover in the hallway thing while the wind was just whirling around me and my kindergarten imagination just imprinted this fear of tornadoes. But I also, for whatever reason as a kid, would watch those nature documentaries about tornadoes, which did not help my fear. And so what would happen is whenever the wind would blow or whenever a severe storm warning was coming through, I would become a, an eight-year-old nervous wreck. I would be huddled under a bed. I would be wrapping myself in a blanket. I would be watching the news, and I was just afraid. Uh, one of the things that my parents uh, encouraged me to do at the time, they gave me a little notebook. A uh, little kind of, it was like a, a, a Blue's Clues notebook, uh, if, you, if you remember that kid show. Uh, and they encouraged me to, in this notebook, uh, to write down thoughts or things that would help me when I was afraid. And so when severe weather was coming through, I would just walk around the house nervously with this notebook, just flipping page after page after page because I was so afraid. And on the very first page of this notebook, uh, my mom had written Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's such a simple statement, and yet so incredibly difficult to do. Right? That when I feel fear, I put my trust 
in God. Now, here's what happens. As we get older, we find more mature ways to talk about fear. All right, so we rarely say, I'm afraid of the opinions of my coworkers. We'll say, I'm really nervous about my presentation tomorrow. We rarely say, I'm afraid for my kids' future. We say, I'm just worried about their decisions. We rarely say, I am afraid that we're not going to be okay financially. We say, I'm just really stressed about my finances right now. And so you find these more kind of adult, mature ways to talk about what is at its very baseline fear. This thing that I feel and that you feel when it feels like my safety and my security is threatened by something. And and, and we're going to explore this morning is how David, the writer of this psalm in Psalm 56, what he does with his fear. How he navigates his fear and what it means for you and me. If you have your Bible open to Psalm 56, I just want to point out one thing, one really significant thing. Uh, at the very beginning, it's not even a verse, it's kind of a note, a notation on this psalm. It gives us a little bit of the context. We don't always know how these songs were written, but in this case, uh, David, who wrote this, thought it was important enough to give us a little bit of information. And Psalm 56, the note on it says this, a miktam, which is just a song, uh, type of song, of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now, if you know very little about the Old Testament, David was an anointed king of Israel. He was uh, appointed to be the next king. The only problem was there was still currently a king on the throne. And as you can imagine, that creates a little bit of an issue. That the current king doesn't like that the next king has already been selected. And so he, Saul, goes on this rampage to find David and to kill him. And so this is what's happening as David is fleeing his homeland and who is supposed to be his king. He is on the run, and he is now on the run into the region of Gath. Gath would be a nearby kingdom. He's not in his homeland. He's in enemy territory. Uh, And if you know nothing else about the Old Testament, you probably know the story of David and Goliath, Uh, how David used that slingshot to kill the nine-foot-tall Goliath. What you might not know is that Goliath's hometown was Gath. And this was probably only a few weeks or maybe only a few months after that incident. And so David is fleeing from his homeland where his king is after him, and he is now going into enemy territory where he has just recently killed and beheaded the most significant warrior that this town has ever had. That's where he finds himself when he writes this song. He has reason to be afraid. And yet in the midst of this fear, he writes this song about what he does with his fear. And I think his fear in particular is is very kind of similar to the fear that you and I feel a lot, right? Where we maybe don't fear a lion coming to attack me, uh, right? Or that I'm somehow in immediate danger. But our fears are typically a little bit more, uh, we could even say relational, how I deal with my spouse or my boss or my coworkers. We have the same fear that goes on in our body. It's just maybe less about the tiger that's about to jump me. It's more about, am I going to make it? Am I going to survive? Am I going to deal with this? And so what I want to do over the next couple of minutes is I really just want to focus on verses 3 and 4. Because David repeats this stanza twice as he navigates his fear. And so this is kind of his bedrock in the midst of what he describes as uh, this uh, attack that he is under. Uh, Now, here's the thing about fear, though. Uh, If you look at verse 3, he says this, When I am afraid, 
Notice he uses time language there. It's not if I am afraid, it's when I am afraid. And in fact, the language is in the moment that I am afraid. Think about that moment that you first feel fear. Where do you first feel fear? You feel in your gut. Right? There's something that happens in your gut where like the, the pit of your stomach drops out and then all of a sudden you start sweating profusely maybe. Uh, you start to get real like your eyes do something weird and your pulse starts quickening. You see, here's the thing about fear. Fear is both a body and a soul thing. It's both a body and a soul thing. And that is really important because God has wired our bodies to experience a certain degree of fear. In fact, that's how God has created us because fear at its baseline keeps us alive. If I didn't have fear, I would do stupid things and I would not survive very long. And so there is a basic instinct that happens where fear is kind of a warning system in order to keep me alive. And I often feel it first in my body and only then second in my brain. In fact, I was researching this this past week. I came across an article from the Cleveland Clinic that describes what happens in our bodies when we experience fear. Uh, and I'm not a counselor or a doctor, and so I'm just going to read this because I don't want to give you misinformation. But this is from the Cleveland Clinic on what happens in your body and my body when you first experience that pit in your stomach. It says this, During a state of danger, stress, or excitement, your sympathetic nervous system starts ringing alarm bells all over your body that something is wrong and you need to prepare for battle. These messages send your brain and body into survival mode, priming you to react quickly. When the threat has passed, your brain sends signals through the vagus nerve to relax the tension. The problem, and catch this, the problem is that the fight or flight response doesn't know the difference between immediate danger and life stresses that come at us every day. Today, your fight or flight reaction is activated not only during dangerous situations, like that white knuckle feeling of driving on an ice covered road, but also by more emotionally charged threats, such as abuse, discrimination, dysfunctional relationships, loneliness, poverty, poor sleep, or trauma. Unlike the tiger who slinked back into the jungle and left you to go back to your day, these threats remain part of our lived experience. They stay with us day in and day out, and so do the stress and anxiety that come with them, courtesy of our flight or flight, fight response. So what they're saying is the stress and the anxiety that we experience in our day is the same system of fear. And what happens is that the more that I exist in that elevated space, it actually has long-term health effects, long-term chronic issues to my body. And so David says, when I am afraid, notice, I put my trust in you. That he makes a decision in the moment that he feels that fear. In the moment that his pulse starts elevating, his breath starts quickening, he makes a decision to put his trust in God. So rather than turning inward and kind of figuring it out internally, or rather than turning outward and punching back, he instead says, I'm going to trust God. Now that's hard to do because when you're in that moment, I, I'm just reacting. But he says, when I feel that fear, I can do something. I can put my trust in God. I want to show you just three things that David highlights about God, why God is trustworthy when you experience that fear, whatever that fear is for you, why it is that you can trust God. Uh, take a look at verse 8. 
Verse 8 says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The first thing that he says about God is that God is compassionate toward your condition. That when you are experiencing that fear, God's movement is actually towards you in the midst of your fear. He uses a really interesting uh, word in the original language that, to describe that, uh, that bottle. This bottle would not, uh, would not be like your plastic water bottle. This would be like a leather bottle that you would carry on long trips. Uh, you, and and you've got to think, in that day, they were traveling often through arid territory with not a lot of water. And so this bottle was a very important piece of equipment. When you came across a stream or when it rained, or you came across an oasis, you are stocking up as much of that water as you could so that the rest of your journey you would have water, or at least as long as it would last. And so whatever you got in that bottle was precious. You were very intentional and very specific to make sure you got as much as you can. He says that is what God does to you, or how he moves towards you when you're crying, or when you're sweating, or when you're experiencing the stress of your fear, is that God moves towards you and he's compassionate towards you, like he is collecting each and, one, each and every single teardrop or sweat drop in the moment of that fear. Like God is not mad at you when you experience fear. Now think about that. Like he's not like, ah, there he goes again. Why is he afraid? He sees your condition and he moves towards you with compassion to keep track of and to monitor the situation as you are experiencing fear. And so God is a trustworthy person to turn to because he is compassionate towards you in the midst of your fear. The second thing that David points out is in verses 5 through 7. Look what it says. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. The second thing that I want to show you is that God is a just judge. He is a just judge. The language that David uses here is like he is trying to make his case, and his enemies are twisting his words and using them against him. Have you ever been in that situation? Right, where you're trying to, you, you, you think you see things clearly, you think you did things right, and you're trying to explain why you did it, and the other person either just cannot receive it, or they are just twisting the words against you and using it for their cause. That's where David is. He is experiencing this assault. And yet what David doesn't do is he doesn't take matters into his own hands. Right, which when we are in kind of that elevated state of fear, our body is primed to do one of two things, fight or flight. Right? Which means fight is like when you're twisting my words, I'm going to push back against you. I'm going to punch. I'm going to hurl insults. I'm going to fight back. Or on the other hand, I'm going to run away. And I'm going to avoid this altogether. Because when you get into that state, what is happening is your body is spending less time in your upper level thinking of like what is happening and more time in why, how can I survive? Right? Like, have you ever been in that argument where like 15 minutes in, you can't even remember what you're arguing about anymore? It's just become about who's going to win. That's because your body, your, your fear instinct is in fight or flight. And so it's less about the reasons of, behind the argument. It is more about winning. 
But David, instead of taking matters into his own hands and fighting back, he says, you know what? God is a just judge. He sees my situation. He's compassionate towards this place that I find myself. And so what that means is that God is the one who can arbitrate over who is right and who is wrong. Because oftentimes when you're in that state of conflict or tension or fear, it's really hard to know what is right and what is wrong. What should I do or what I shouldn't do? And so we often react rather than thinking. And so he says, rather than taking matters in my own hands when I'm afraid, I'm going to trust God who is a just judge. The last thing I want to show you is in verses 12 and 13. He repeats again this phrase that uh, I put my trust in God. What do I have to be afraid of then? Look at verse 12. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. The third thing that I want to show you is that God, as David is reflecting on this, is that God is a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. There's nothing that we really have in this psalm to tell us that as David is writing this, God actually did anything. What he is instead remembering is that God is a promise keeper, And so he is going to be true to who he said he was going to be. He's going to be true to the promises that he gave to me. And so that means that when I am under threat or when I'm experiencing fear, I can trust that even if my circumstances are not clear right now, that God is going to do what God said he would do. And so he says in verse 12, I must perform my vows. In other words, I'm going to keep acting as if God is still moving. I'm going to keep trusting as if God is still good because he is, even if my situation or my circumstances don't indicate that in this moment, that God is a promise keeper. And so he says, I will trust and obey him in the midst of my fear. Even so much so that in verse 13, he says, you have delivered my soul from death. Like, the fundamental reason why we have a fear instinct is to keep us from dying. It's to keep us alive. When you get in super extreme situations, it is just survival mode. I'm going to do anything that I can to survive. And yet what he realizes is that this God that he is trusting in is a God who can rescue him even from death. And so that baseline, fundamental thing that your fear instinct is there to protect you against, he's saying, the God that I believe in is a God who can rescue me even from that. And just imagine if you actually believe that. Like if you and I actually believe that this God that I can put my trust in when I am afraid, when I'm feeling that survival instinct kick in, that this God is compassionate towards me, He is a just judge, and so he is going to deliver my soul even from death. How much would that change your situation? It changes his situation so much so that these ones who are coming against him, he says, what can flesh do to me? Now that language is a little polite. It's really like, what can frail flesh do to me? He's almost like indicating that that as he believes that this God is a promise keeper, his enemies are just like wilting away. They're just kind of becoming dust like Avengers Endgame, right? They're, they're, or Infinity War. They're just kind of, du- they're, they're just blowing away. Why? Because this God is a promise keeper. And so the threats that I face take a different dynamic when I put my trust in him. 
In fact, this is what 1 Peter says about Jesus. Because how is it that we know that God can rescue us from death? Because he rescued Jesus from death. And this is the language of 1 Peter. Peter was an apostle of Jesus. He was a friend and a follower of Jesus. And he's talking to a church in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hard things that are going on. There's a lot of things that they're afraid of. And yet this is what he says. For to this you have been called, because Jesus Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Catch this. When he was reviled, in other words, when people were coming against him, when he had that fear kicking in, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly that Jesus trusted himself to his Father, to the same God that David is appealing to here. He trusted himself fully that this God is a promise keeper. And as a result, he was resurrected from the dead. And not only that, not only was he resurrected, he says in this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. By his death, we can experience healing. By his death, we can experience relationship and reconciliation with this God. By his death and resurrection, we know that his promises are true. And then he says this, and I love this, this, this picture. He says, for you are straying like sheep. We're running all over the place, afraid, worried, uncertain, insecure, We were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That God wants to be a shepherd, a protector for you, an overseer for you. It means he's looking at the situation. He sees what's going on. And so you can trust him when you are afraid. And this is what David knows. And when he places his trust in him, changes everything about his fear. I want to take a few moments. I just want to talk about how can you practice this in your life? It's one thing for David. You know, he had time to craft this psalm. Like when I'm in fear mode, it is black and white, right? How can you begin to practice this in your life? So just have one thing and then I have four things. And this will go short. Don't worry. But I want to just, this, this reality, we have to hang on to this reality. That fear is both a body and a soul thing. It's both a body and a soul thing. And so what David is doing is in his mind he is putting his trust in God, but there's also something that has to happen in our bodies at the same time. Now that is how God has wired us to actually put our trust in him. All right, so one thing, just one thing. Uh, The number one command in the Bible is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's probably because God knows that when we are afraid, lots of things happen in our bodies. And I think one of the things that happens in your body is you become very black and white in your thinking and you become very reactive. And so just, just consider this. As your pastor, what I would encourage you to think about is am I being motivated by fear? Am I being motivated by fear? Because if you are being motivated by fear, you are likely being motivated by something that is drawing you away from the way of Jesus and not towards the way of Jesus. So just, I mean, just think about all the different variations of that. 
Am I being motivated by fear in this conversation with my spouse or my kids? Am I being motivated by fear by this politician or this issue to vote in a particular kind of way because they're saying I should be afraid? Am I being motivated by fear in my relationship with my neighbors or in my approach to my coworkers? Fear is a powerful motivator. And it is very easy to be manipulated by fear because when you are in that fight or flight stage, your brain is in black and white thinking. And so it becomes very easy to get into us versus them thinking, to be reactive, when the main command of the scriptures is to be not afraid. And so just consider that as you think about, what, as you're following Jesus, right? You may be lulled away from the way of Jesus, not by an overt invitation to sin, but rather through someone saying, you know what, you should be afraid of them. Or you should be afraid of that situation. Or you should be afraid of that person. But they're actually motivating you away from the way of Jesus. So be careful, be cautious of your fear input. Uh, the last four things, uh, as I was studying on fear this past week, uh, in the same article from the Cleveland Clinic, they talked about how to get your body out of fight or flight. Uh, and they described several practices that as I read through these, this is, I had like a goosebumps moment. Right? As I was reading through these, many of these practices you can find in ancient Christian traditions. In other words, neurobiology is only just recently discovering what followers of Jesus have known for thousands of years. And so the way of Jesus lines up with, as it should, the biology of our bodies. Because God created our bodies. So I just want to offer it from this, uh, here's kind of from that same article in Cleveland Clinic. Then I'll just talk through four, four simple practices for you. Uh, here's what it says. The vagus nerve is part of your parasympathetic system. So your sympathetic system is what gets you elevated. Your parasympathetic system is what brings you down. The vagus nerve is the largest nerve in the body. It goes from your brain stem, down your spine, your lungs, your throat, your heart. The reason why you feel fear in your gut is because of that. It connects to all your major systems. Super interesting. Uh, it carries electrical signals between your brain and your body. Its main role is to control automatic functions such as breathing, heart rate, and digestion. That makes it an important connection between your mind and body. Your vagus nerve helps disengage your sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight response. When you're stressed or scared, your heart rate and blood pressure increase and you become focused on survival. Being in that stressful fight or flight state can wear out your body. The parasympathetic nervous system and vagus nerve bring you back to a stable state when the stress is over. In other words, your fight or flight response is important when you're actually in some kind of physical danger, but when it jumps into gear in situations that aren't a matter of life or death, it taxes your body and your mind. Activating your vagus nerve and the rest of your parasympathetic nervous system is a cue to your body that it's not in mortal danger this allows you to calm down and relax. And so what it's talking, they're talking about how biologically our bodies come down into a state of rest, while David is saying, my soul trusts in God. So let me just give you four practices that are actually in this psalm that also overlap with what biology is telling us. The first is to slow down, particularly to slow down your breathing. Like, just take a second, breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Doesn't that feel good? It's because that's how God made you to breathe. Now, the interesting thing in verses one and two is as, as David describes his enemies, in the original language, he's describing them as if they are panting. That they are running after him. And just like you might get when you're running, they're breathing really heavy. 
And so in verse 3, when he says, when I am afraid, he stops to be. Right? He's not being chased anymore. He's stopping and he is slowing down. So what happens when you slow down, when you're in the midst of that kind of elevated state, you stop and you breathe, you stop and you slow down for a second, is it allows your brain and your body to reconnect. And that's what's happening for David right here. He's stopping as he's being chased. He's slowing down. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to write a psalm. <laughs> Maybe you don't have to do that, right? But, but he's in the midst of this pursuit. And he's saying, Whew. like last week, Psalm 46. Well, we looked at this. What was the command that God gave? Be still. Be still and know that I'm God. Like an important part of coming out of that state of fight or flight and putting your trust in God is slowing down in the moment that you feel that fear and simply being. That's why if you've gone through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class here at church, that's why it's so, such, that's the, the fundamental practice is slowing down and being. Why? Because it actually allows us to think clearly. It allows us to be and to reflect so that I can trust in God. And so when you feel that fear beginning to elevate, taking that moment to just breathe slowly is part of how we trust God with our bodies. The second practice that neurobiology is finding that Christians have known all along is the practice of meditation, particularly meditating on his word. In verse 4, he says, In God, whose word I praise. So part of his practice of putting his trust in God when he is afraid is to reflect on and meditate on God's word. This is, in fact, Psalm 1 introduces the whole collection of music by saying this is what we're supposed to do, that we are supposed to meditate on the word of God day and night, and as a result, we become like a tree planted by streams of flowing water. That as we meditate on, what I mean by meditate is, is over and over and over again, in your heart and in your mind. Just like I did as a nine-year-old kid when the tornadoes were coming through, I just said, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Now, the important thing to get is that this is both a body thing and a soul thing. That when I am meditating on Scripture, God is revealing his truth to me, but in his wisdom, he's also made my body in such a way that when I meditate on Scripture, hanging on to his word, it actually brings my body down so that I meditate and I trust in his word. Now, the important thing to get here, David is in the wilderness, so he's likely not rolling out his 10-foot scroll. He doesn't have an iPhone or an Android, if you're one of those people. He doesn't have those, which means he has memorized the Word of God. Right? Like, when I am in that elevated moment, when I memorize Scripture, and I'm not even talking about memorizing, like, whole books of the Bible. Like, if you want to begin, begin with 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I trust in you. It says, like, seven words. So this week, when you begin to feel elevated, when you begin to feel that fear, that, that rising sense in your gut that something is wrong, Psalm 56.3, memorize it. When I am afraid, I trust in you. That this does something to your body and to your soul to bring you into alignment, to trust the God who is good for you. Last two things. Uh, singing. Singing. They found that, so your vagus nerve runs down the back of your neck, and so a lot of how you can stimulate it is through your throat, through singing, chanting, or humming. Now, the interesting thing is, like, for thousands of years in the Christian tradition, the psalms have been chanted. Now, we, we don't chant them, because I don't know how to chant them, right? 
maybe you guys want to, you guys can lead us through a chant of Psalm Psalm 40, 56. But um, but there's actually something that happens biologically speaking when you sing or hum or chant that it actually calms your system. And so part of this is singing the truth of God's word, but also at a biological level, this brings you down. This brings you back into a state of rest. And so that could be listening to a song that just really means a lot to you. Uh, this is why, like, if you have a teenager and they get into a car and they crank the music really loud, it's actually doing this for them. It's actually bring, uh, I listened to some real loud, crazy music when I was in high school, and my dad was always like, doesn't that stress you out? But it actually brought me down, right? Because this is how God's wired our body. So listening to music or singing is really good. And the last is community. Community. Being in a space with other people uh, who are also not elevated, right? Or who are kind of coming down together. Being in community with other people, not rushing, not trying to get something or achieve something or move to something, but just simply being. Being with other people. Now, just those four things, slowing down, meditating, singing, and community. That's what we do every Sunday. Hopefully that's what you can do in your life during the week. It's that God has, in his wisdom, wired us in his word and in his truth to trust in him in our bodies and our souls as we follow his way. Because he wants us not to live in fear. In fact, the last verse of this whole psalm says that I may walk before God in the light of life. Another way to translate that is that I may walk and serve God and enjoy life. Like that's God's desire for you, is that in trusting him, that you would not live constantly elevated with your fist clenched, ready to go, but that you would trust him and release and enjoy life with him. This is his plan and purpose for you, that when you are afraid, you put your trust in him. So I want to actually just lead us just for a few moments to just slow down and to actually do what the psalm says. And so I want to just invite you just for a few moments just to breathe. If it helps you, just close your eyes. Nothing weird is going to happen, I promise. Just to close your eyes for a moment and just for a few seconds, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Psalm 56.3 says, when I am afraid. Still breathing, slowly in through your nose, out through your mouth. Just take a few moments. Explore your inner life. What are you afraid of this morning? What are you anxious about? What are you worried about? What are you stressed about? You'll know because it's probably elevating you as you think about it. What are you afraid of this morning? Still breathing through your nose, through your mouth. I want to invite you just in silence for just a moment to respond with the second half of that psalm. That when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Just take a moment, whatever that fear or worry or anxiety is, just say, God, would you help me to trust you with this?
God will deliver your soul from death and your feet from falling that you may walk before God in the light of life.